can be a dangerous profession, and safety is of the utmost importance. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rural Perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Adam Albrick. Today's conversation is centered around the topic of farm safety. Joining us is Dale Ekdaw with Outstate Data. Welcome, Dale. Hi, Adam. How are you doing? Not too bad. Thank you for being here today. Dale, I think it might be helpful to give the audience a little bit of background on yourself, how you became where you are today, and also what Outstate Data all entails. Well, uh, we're a farm safety business. Uh, Originally, Outstate Data was connected with another company that did safety uh, compliance work. And this fell around the realm of OSHA compliance, mainly in grain elevators, and a lot of them were in North Dakota. So I was able to go from elevator to elevator and uh, learn about grain safety. My background in safety really only applied to my service in the Army, where I was a, a maintenance officer in, and safety officer for the, for, the company, or for the companies and battalions that I represented. So in that safety realm that I was doing after the Army, uh, I got to see how OSHA applies safety to everybody. One of the crucial things that I learned was the grain handling standard for OSHA. And what that does for elevators is it takes the employees and looks at their safety and what the management should do for that safety. Uh, In that time, I was able to look at you know, the rescue of, uh, of certain people from grain bin accidents and how the grain elevator should do that. All right, so they have certain rules, and here's what you do in, in a certain set of rules. So, okay, that's great. Then in 2006, uh, we had a, a young man near where I lived die in a grain bin, and uh, he was only 13 years old. Well, at that time, in our county, which is Grant County, Minnesota, we, we have six fire departments. All six ended up on this farm. And at the time, it was a recovery. Uh, they knew from the get-go that the young man had been buried in the grain, and this was a tragic thing. But when the firemen went there, they realized we have no apparatus to get these victims out of a bin, whether alive or, or you know, something less, more tragic could happen. So some of them, in particular, a couple of the fire chiefs knew me and said, well, Dale, you deal with this and, you know, almost daily. You must know what to do. And I says, well, I know what the grain handling standard is and I know what the apparatus, and I know the apparatuses that are out there to rescue people. Uh, okay, well, that's wonderful. Which one would you buy? And I'm just standing here going, what should I tell them? I like this part of this one, and I like this part of that one. But I, I don't like this one for this reason, and I like this one. Well, there was five different manufacturers. Okay, you didn't answer my question, Dale. <laughs> Which one would you buy if you were a fire department? And I said, well, I can't tell you which one. They've all rescued lives, but in a different way. To me, they're not all functional or versatile enough. So that was kind of the end of the conversation. Some weeks later, one of the chiefs came to me and says, would you help us build one using your knowledge on what's good and bad about it? I says, well, certainly. You know, why not? You know, I mean, we're... uh, 
we're we're close to we're only nine miles away from that fire department so i happen to have a shop and happen to have an aluminum welder and they said well we'll we'll get you the material if you build it and you know build the best one you can using so we did we we built a, an apparatus that we figured could rescue we tried it out actually in in december of of uh, 2010 and found out it had some deficiencies okay we need to make this bigger and we need it to do this better and okay so we made a second prototype okay and these are handmade so they're expensive to make and they're difficult to make so okay so now we have product two well just a little bit more tweaking on it and it'll be really good so again there we go we've got a we've got a unit that would work okay Dale can you help us build five more for the rest of the county oh wow okay you know this is you know building them one at a time well we're going to have a pancake feed and the Ashby is going to have a pork chop feed and that's how we're going to pay for this and I said that, that's fine I'm not I don't want any money for building I just you know I want to help you guys okay so we ended up building all these sets and everybody was happy that now they have something at least there was no training for it there was you know just here's the unit and if something happens here's how we figure it should go together and you know based on how the others work and all that and how other rescues have happened. okay fine so everything I went back to work they all went back with their daily lives nothing was said and about two months later I get a phone call from that very first chief and he says hey Dale um you know, the, the Fergus Falls uh, Fire Department seen our units. Uh, they would like one. Oh, well, I, I, I don't know. I, how are we going to build? Well, uh, not us, you. <laughs> okay, okay, I see where this is going. Pretty soon, Pelican Rapids called. Then Kensington called, and so on and so forth. And if you just drew consenting rings around my home, you can see it was spreading out, kind of like a coronavirus. It's going everywhere, and and I can't control it anymore. And at one point, we said, "This is it." Cindy and I sat down and said, "The the demand is unbelievable for these. I mean, it, it's incredible." But we're never. I mean, this would be the most unprofitable company in the world if we ever start it. We have to think mass production. Well, coming from an army manufacturing background, I knew how to do that. I was very, very at ease at saying, okay, here's what we'd have to do to ramp up. And we did. And the orders started flooding in and flooding in and flooding in. And, um, and that's the start of our business. And that's how we got going. So what do these units actually look like? Well, what we decided on and what we started with are two different things. We started out with a pack of five, okay, five different panels. They were 18 inches wide and they were five foot tall. The reason they were 18 inches wide uh, is because the, some of the grain bins don't have a very big opening to get into the grain bin. So we need to make sure that they could fit in there. Also, if you looked at across the horizon and you've seen some of these tall concrete silos that they store grain in, some of them have a very small opening on the top. So we had to make sure that for reasons they had to be a certain width. And they had to be made out of aluminum. So we, we made them in a curved shape. 
and that curved shape had on one end a piece of pipe. If you can imagine a piece of pipe, okay? Then on the other side, the other end had a C piece of pipe. It, it looked like a C. So the C slid over the other pipe, connecting the two pieces together. And if you'd continue that in a circle, it would make a complete circle. Well, we found out right away that five wasn't the right number, okay? Uh, some, some of the... Um, uh, victims were larger people. <laughs> I'm not saying they were huge, but larger, and so five barely got around them. So, okay, so we started saying, okay, six, seven, eight. What's the perfect number? We, we ended up with ten. That would cover almost every kind of rescue you could, could make. So now, because of their bulkiness, we put steps on them to help handle them and put them in, and you could step on these these. Uh, outward looking steps and you could push it into the grain around the individual. Okay, so that that was the concept. So we ended up with two bags full with five in each bag, weighing approximately 100 pounds a bag. So light but maneuverable, but could adapt to the given situations. So the firemen, when they arrive on the scene, they assemble it outside of the grain bins themselves and then drop it in? Is that... No, uh... The, the the ten panels, uh, the the fire chief, the person in charge at the scene, would have to make a determination what they're going to do, how they're going to rescue, because uh, there's no two rescues that have been alike completely. So if you look at the scenario that they're dealing with, it's more like you know when they go to a house fire, they analyze the situation get the given people, the people on the hoses, the people who are going to enter the room, and, and the people at the pumps, and everybody's got a job to do. So you treat the grain rescue the same way. You come to the site, you see the situation, you look at the hazards that are in the still existing in the bin. You know, that means some first responders got to climb in there into them exact same hazards that got the victim stuck in the first place, and they have to perform this rescue. All right, so they bring in a panel. They start building a circle. You can imagine the slopes that are inside of the bin. You know, the, the person probably is pulled down because of moving grain. So they're at the bottom of, let's say, a cone. That's one example. And, and the grain is stacked up around them to a cone down to where that individual is. If that individual is deep into the grain, let's say up to their neck, if you walked into the bin and you tried to go down to him, you would push more grain on him and eventually bury him. And that would be kind of the end. The first thing you've got to do is protect that individual. So you would hand, you would get the person to either get a self-contained breathing apparatus on them that the firemen have for smoke inhalation. You would tell them to, to put something over their head, maybe a five-gallon bucket or a garbage can, anything to protect them. The facts of the matter is most people don't, die from the crushing pressure of the grain they die from choking on the grain so that's the first thing you got to do then you got to figure out how to get down to them without shifting grain and a lot of different ways you can do that i train that the individuals get some pop crates and they stand on these pop crates push them into the grain and build like a steps going down to them now you don't stand on them you're on your hands and knees but you slowly go down to them it's actually agonizingly slow to get down to that person but once you're down there and, and when I'm saying get down there I'm talking maybe one person only because the more people you got in there 
the more hazards you have, the more chance of shifting a lot of grain onto the ninja. It was fine when the grain bins were 6,000, 8,000 bushel, but who has them kind of bins in today's world? Today's world, it's 10,000, 15, 20, 100. Uh, them are huge bins with huge slopes in them. And what normally causes the, the accident in the first place is out of condition grain. So the grain would stack as you go now. Clumps of grain would get caught in the auger and, and end up clogging the auger at the sump. So people would go in and try to break them clumps up. That's how most of the accidents end up. So what we want to do is get the firemen in their safety. That means they're on a rope, they're on a harness, they're tied off. So if something happens that the other firemen can pull him out of the way while they build this circumference or coffer dam around the victim. Once they built that coffer dam, the person isn't out of danger, but he's more or less in better shape than he was before. Now it's a matter of getting the grain around him out. Uh, we just hand them pails. So the fact of the matter is you have the most motivated person in the world at the bottom of that tube. Hand him a pail and say, hey, bail yourself out. Okay, the grain will come flying out. The individual gets out. And, and that's simplified, uh, what I'm talking about. Just a couple days ago out near Pure south dakota there was a grain accident where an individual was put into the grain the chief on the scene called me yesterday and at length talked to me about the rescue they had and all the difficult it took over four hours to get the individual out using our panels and the grain was incredibly poor shape the slopes he said in that bin were over 35 degrees in angle and if you think about that from 0 to 35 that's a very sharp angle they had difficulty from the minute they went in that bin as they tried to rescue things got worse and worse they did however stop the flow onto the individual 78 year old man that's what the newspaper said he said but he said in reality he said the guy was 80 and this meant he was much more fragile than a normal and not saying he wasn't in good shape and all that but he was probably more fragile than a 23 year old young farmer that you know in the prime of his life they ended up in the end of, of cutting holes on the back side of the bin draining grain out to take the pressure off as they were working on the individual the grain was shifting and moving on them so they were getting more and more in danger so was the individual that's just one example of many but they got him out they got him out and he was not injured but it was very very close he said very close so you know this is this is the reality this in this year unbelievably bad corn in the bins unbelievable we've had three successful rescues this year already using our equipment and training and we're happy with that, but then we're saddened by the fact that, you know, producers are still going into the bins, you know, when, when they know the dangers. Uh, having a harness on, having somebody at the door, having a safety rope on them, having some kind of face protection, having, you know, um, a radio to call if you're alone. You know, sometimes cell phones don't work inside of grain bins just because of the steel structure itself. I mean, all these all these things could prevent these. That, that would be my goal, prevent them in the first place so we don't have to use rescue tubes. Well, Minnesota did lead the nation last year in a statistic really nobody wants to lead in, and that is grain bin deaths. There were eight of them. To begin this year, we're already out at three. 
And there was a very challenging harvest last year, as you alluded to. The, the quality of the grain and everything just makes that so difficult. And, and so you travel quite a bit to many different states. So this is not just an isolated problem here. This is all over the place. Yeah, we're, we're in actually selling and delivering in 22 states. Shortly after we started building these in a mass production kind of thing, we found out right away, I, I went to Greeley, Iowa, and to deliver a unit and talk to the firemen there. And Greeley, Iowa is down by Dubuque. It's, it's probably 450 miles from, from Alexandria here, where we're at right now. Uh, but that, that unit there was a small little volunteer fire department. I dropped it off. And I talked to the fire chief. He handed me a check, and I was happy. And I'm starting to walk away, and he says, well, how do these work? And right then and there, I just had one of those moments in my life where I just stopped and said, wow, I just gave that guy a fire extinguisher and didn't tell him how to use it. You know, what good is a fire extinguisher if you don't even know how to use it? That was my thought right then and there. I said, wow, I'm doing this all backwards. I said, they have to know. They have to know how to use this. Okay, so I'm going to give them a short class right here, right in the fire station. There's only three guys here, uh, small town, like probably less than 100 people. And so they had this short class. Three weeks after that date, they went out and rescued a man in a bin. That was the change of our company. That's what made us successful. That's what got hundreds and hundreds of these units in because we now made it a policy. You don't get one of these unless you're trained. That's it. you got to be trained. And we'll train in a certain way, giving the best information. And it's proven to be the success. We've had 25 rescues now, 25 successful rescues using the same training in the same, you know, um, apparatus that we started with except for the fact that every time we have a rescue I, I absolutely want to hear from the fire chief or somebody in charge there what happened how did you rescue them so I can bring that information forward and incorporate it into the next unit that we train and sell so each one gets better you can say uh, this one in Pierre was so bad and he was so descriptive on every part of it. And he made it a point of himself to teach every fire department around his area how to rescue in a bad, bad, bad situation. And I'm bringing that forward as we speak to, to other fire departments. So when you do hear from these fire departments, are you hearing some pretty common themes? Are there some trends that you're kind of picking up on? Or are each case a little bit unique? They're all unique that's for sure. The trend is they're all chaotic. They're absolutely unbelievably chaotic. Every fire chief has said that. Uh, the other part of that is that there's not as many people trained as you would think. Okay, You've got people there that don't know what they're doing, have not been trained, do not have a rescue unit, but they happen to be mutual aid from a nearby town. Uh, so that's a common thing. That's common. Uh, and they're all different, meaning 
that if I said to you, now this is the way you, you train, you build this around him perfectly round because that will give it its, its best you know, strength if, if, if you build this perfectly round around the individual. The reality is when I get pictures, and a lot of times they'll email me pictures of the rescue, <laughs> they forgot that in the first two seconds. Okay, uh, We had a saying in the Army, the battle plan only lasts for the first minute of the battle. From that point on, you're on your own, right? It's the same with these. Uh, the pictures, I say, well, they're not even close to round, and they don't interconnect. They weren't able to, so they overlapped them. Well, then I come to this training where I say, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just got to work. You know, that's the reality, and that's what we want to get across. You don't have to do it exactly like I say. I'm giving you initial training so that you understand how to adapt it to each scenario. And here's the scenarios that have happened. This is how they rescued them. You can see that if you just tweak it. So when I'm training, we I literally bury people in a, basically in, a, in the back of a truck is what I like to train in. And that way, a lot of people can see it. A lot of pe people can stand in the back of a full truck while we sink people down. Now, the person we sink would have a harness and lifeline on, so they can only sink so far in. But they sink to that then that fireman understands the pressure that's around that individual, how difficult it is to actually get out of corn. Most people, when they're buried over their knees, they can't get out of the grain. That's just a fact. A lot of that has to do with, well, how, what's your age? How, what's your strength? How, what's your body shape? All that would determine how easy it is for you to get out of the grain. Uh, if you're older like me, if you're a little heavier like me, and you're not as strong anymore because you're older, you're not going to get out of the grain if it goes over your knees. That's just a fact. And I know that because I've been buried hundreds of times, so I know that. And the odd thing is it still kind of creeps me out every time I get buried. I, I'm still not used to it after hundreds of burying. So that's something that these firemen will carry with them. Hey, there's a guy buried there. It's really hard. It's it's panicky. It's it's bad. You know, we've got to get this guy out as soon as possible. Have you ever heard from any of the people or families of members of people who have been saved? Oh yeah. And that that puts the hair in the back of your neck straight up. When hi, I'm Sid. I was in Breckenridge at that last grain thing the glass grain rescue that happened with the Breckenridge Fire Department. And uh, I was the guy that was rescued. And I'm just like, I'm speechless. I'm, my wife starts crying every time when something like I tell her. The guy called me, he's from, you know, my wife couldn't even talk to him. She'd just cry. You know, I, it is, it's that, that rewarding. But again, going back to, God, I wish I would have been there prior to and told him not to get in that spot. But you know, there you are. And we talked about what it feels like to be trapped. And you said once the grain kind of hits the knee, that's really the danger zone. If people start to flail or move around, is does that help? Does that hurt? What are some of the things that you kind of would recommend if anybody listening to this were to ever find themselves in that position? Well, it, and you look at every every grain rescue and every grain deaths and Purdue University did a 25-year study of the grain deaths and it's 
called the most uh, com comprehensive study that was ever done about this subject. Uh, some of the things that were brought out in that was it, it almost always happens with moving grain. Okay, it, it, no matter what the scenario was, whatever the conditions in the bin, in the bunker outside, in a inside of a, a grain car, you know, you name it, uh, it always involved moving grain. So with the grain moving, so does the person. Okay, so with that in mind, you're struggling against grain that, by the second, is putting more weight on you. Okay. You're not going to outrun it. I mean, back when the augers were six inches, like I grew up on a dairy farm, not far from where we're sitting, three miles north of where we're sitting right here. And, and we, we milked cows and had feeder cows, and we had grain bins on our farm. And they were nothing. They were 5,000 bushel grain bins made by Butler <laughs> back in the 50s. And with that, we, we just, it was no... It was no big thing. I mean, the amount of grain, the six-inch auger that we augered it into the truck to take it to town to grind the feed, uh, that was that was nothing. That was just a little bit of grain. God, my dad would have loved to have a 10-inch auger, but he didn't have it. You know, so we just slowly got the grain out. Today, 10 inches small. So the amount of grain, the the poundage of grain that's moving at any given time is just unbelievable. Your chances of outrunning it, out, out swimming it, out stepping it is just practically nil. If you get caught up in a flow, you have mere seconds to, to stop that movement. That's the critical thing. I heard when, when, um, from uh, a, a person that we have that trains with our equipment professionally like we do, but he uses our equipment to do it. He said that they're developing a wristband that on the wristband would have a button that you could push and that button would turn off the augers. I cannot think of anything more wonderful, more innovative, more, <laughs> more needed than that simple situation. And I believe the University of Minnesota is involved in that which even makes it even better because here you got the state working for the farmers, giving them exactly what they need to continue on. And, and I'm just, you know, so happy that, that somebody came up with that idea. That, to me, would be the greatest thing ever if we could get that on every farmer's wrist. Do you imagine how many lives would be saved, how many, how many accidents would have been avoided with that simple thing? Now, I noticed that you guys also offer a kit that, as you describe, gives farmers a better chance at surviving. What, what does that all entail? Well, as, as uh, I was talking, you know, I would rather see preventive measures taken rather than. We, uh, over time, um, about six years ago, with help from, from sponsors uh, that gave us money to build a, a, a training center, and what we ended up doing uh, was putting two grain bins inside a, uh, a building that's, that's 40 by 70. And in that, we tried to replicate what you would see in a given uh, um, grain elevator or larger farming operation. What, what the um, builders of that setup did is they put sumps 
all over in the bottom of the, the bins that are in there. So literally I can move grain any way I really want. There's enough you know, slope and enough everything to give you a very good idea of how difficult it is in a grain bin. And, and that was fine. We would teach people how to rescue, you know, somebody who's caught up in the grain. Well, after all this, and last year you mentioned that Minnesota had, had uh, eight deaths. Well, you know, we had five rescues in 19, 2019. Knowing how the grain went in, we knew that this year would be bad, and it has proven so. And uh, I don't know if you'd call it unfortunately, but in business terms, fortunately, we're selling a lot of grain rescue tubes, and we're training a lot, more than we ever have in the history of our company. It's been, you know, every day almost, it seems like somebody's calling us for information. But we developed this kit, and it was basically my wife's idea. She said, we've got to do something to stop the actual accidents themselves. So how would you do that deal? So we went out to our training center, and we have a mannequin there. And we buried the mannequin, and we, we tied it up different ways, and we buried it different ways to see what would be the best thing you could have to prevent these and again, that button on the wrist would be one wonderful. But I, I, I'm kind of sure that that's going to be quite expensive because that would involve, you know, um, types of, of radio frequency type uh, cutoffs into electrical circuits. And you would have to rewire a lot of your... But that, that's, that's minor in comparison to a death. You know, who cares? What's a life worth? So that would be wonderful. But in the interim of that, uh, we put together a kit. In the kit we have a harness, and that would be a, a, an adjustable harness that would fit all shapes and sizes. Uh, it has D-rings, uh, they're metal rings that hook on the back and then two on the sides. And what this does is give you a chance to, to hook up to a rope, uh, and the rope would have uh, be connected to the outside. Ideally, you would want you know, your son, your wife, a co-worker, whatever it is, on the outside of the bin looking in, okay? And that rope would be able to hold you above and stop you from sinking over your head. It would, might not get you completely out of the grain, but it would stop you from, from going under. So that two things are part of it. The other thing would be, and I, I said this earlier, that most people choke to death. So what you would need is something to keep you from, from uh, having grain put in your face, okay? Now you can do that by just simply putting the hands over your face, but in the panic situation that, that happens during an accident, uh, that's probably not the first thing you'd think to do. So if you had a face mask, a, a real heavy duty one, that could keep the grain out of your face, this would be something, so we included that in the kit. And then we have dust masks. Uh, the whole point is to keep the grain out of your mouth. The dust mask in the end would do that. Uh, since, since we started this uh, dust mask, we started, we wanted 25 in each kit, but you can't buy a dust mask in the United States of America right now. That's just, they just, everywhere, everybody, there is none. So, okay, fine. So we had bought a, a large supply of them to have in this kit. And so we're able to put five, and we put a little note in there. When things return to normal, call us 
email us and we will ship you more you know to round out your kit but right now impossible nowhere so we wanted dust mass in the kit we also wanted some way to to make it if you had a rope on you it's really hard to work in a bin i mean it's hard to work on a normal day in a bin i i grew up on a farm if you've got a grain sweep in that bin at the bottom you're working trying to get that operational that's one of the things you need to do all these things require that you have so i i have a short leader a rope in there too that you could hook from using carabiners hook to the main rope and that rope would give you some flexibility in there it has a rope grab on it so it's adjustable as you move around in the bend you can grab onto the rope it'll pull and lock onto the rope to the main rope uh, in some cases if if you had uh, one primary bin you could leave the main rope in the bin permanently and we also put a pulley in there so that you could have some way of pulling the rope from yourself to the outside so somebody's on the outside pulling it would pull you up through a pulley and it had all this most of this equipment is actually mountaineering type equipment you know that you'd use in mountaineering and they have really the best and the least expensive type of, of equipment now farm safety grain bin safety is really gaining in general awareness and popularity there's actually a movie right now coming out or currently out called silo that i think it's based on a true story but it's a, you know a fictional rendering of that right now so you have that in terms of pop culture politically you have been involved more recently with the Minnesota legislature and talking about just the concept of farm safety. What was your message in St. Paul when you met with elected officials? It goes back to what I said about farm safety and having a kit. We actually tried to do this on our own maybe seven years ago because we realized there should be some preventive since the beginning. But then I go back. Uh, Cindy, my wife, also grew up on a dairy farm, you know, so we both know our dads, and our dads would have said, well, I, I'm safe. I've been doing this 40 years. I've had no problems, you know. I mean, not to say he was cheap, you know, and he wasn't, certainly wasn't, you know, I mean, we're talking about a World War II vet here, you know. He wasn't uh, not brave, you know. He just, he, he thought, I need a new corn head on my combine. I don't need the safety stuff. Well, that through, well, as we tried to offer this, we had open houses and we sent out information all over uh, never got any response to speak of. So S Cindy said, I, 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 that can't be the end of this. We're going to contact our representatives. And we, we contacted uh, uh, Representative Tory uh, Westrom, uh, Colin Peterson. Uh, we, we contacted Bill Ingerbitson. Uh, so of that, uh, Congressman Peterson sent a representative to our training center and he's seen our operation and and Tory Rest Westrom himself came to our training center of course because he only lives seven miles from us that was easy for him to do but but he understood you know we described the 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 center very in detail to him and he understood the purpose of it and he says what do you need and I said well we we need to get the word out and he says well we're having a senate hearing uh, putting together a farm safety uh, bill through the for the Senate's Ag, Ag Policy 
committee. And I said, would you be willing to come down and talk about that? My wife just started to shake because she's not an out front person. She thought standing in front of senators speaking would not be her first choice of things to do. And I said, Cindy, it's your company. You're passionate about this. You've got to do this. And I convinced her that we would do that. So we went down and, and we were able to speak on, on behalf of, of you know, our industry of, of farm safety and what we thought should go forward. And, and in particular, this kit, you know, how do we get that? Uh, the bill was written. I've seen it. Uh, a copy was sent to me. I read it. Uh, I, I think there's going to be funds available, uh, co-sponsored funds. Uh, for farm safety to get this kits in the hands of, of farmers. You know, um, I just think that this, this is a great deal. How it's going to be sent, I think, through the Department of Agriculture. And uh, we were, you know, we have contacts in there that we're going to be talking how this, but it's, I don't know if the bill has been sent up or I, I don't, I haven't heard that the governor has signed it or anything, but I know that, that this is through the Senate as a bill. So whether the House has already seen it and passed it, I do not know at this time. And obviously farm safety is very important to farmers. I think they kind of keep that in the back of their minds as they go throughout their days. But at the same point, they're a little weary of government regulation. There are rules that people have talked about regarding grain bins that farmers would probably push back on. I'm requiring multiple people to be on site at these times, even though they would be good practices. You know, farmers are still a little bit hesitant towards adding more regulation. Have you heard anything in regards to that when it comes to they don't want OSHA around, they don't want to be open to having inspections all the time. It just adds to kind of the cost and and they feel that they're already doing a pretty good job. Have you heard anything in regards to that element? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going back to my dad, who's now deceased, but I think he's trying to get out of the grave and said, no way can you do this to me. You know, he was, he, like a lot of farmers, are very independent on in their thinking. Uh, they see uh, a glamorized picture of OSHA interfering with their local grain elevator, uh, with, the, with the ag industry, the, the big seed companies, everything OSHA's in there, and, and they had OSHA people in there. You know, my, and I've been involved in OSHA negotiations and no OSHA, uh, uh, their ability to come into a to a to an operation that controlled by them and solve problems osha believe it or not has only one job that's to protect workers they don't have any other agenda they could care less about all that political part of this their job is to save people's lives i look at them as not friends but competent people trying to prevent accidents and they do a really good job of it without osha this would be a very different country that we have um, back when if you were worked on a in a railroad that you had like a 75 percent chance that you're going to be injured by the time you leave if you worked in the coal industry if you worked in, you know there's a, all these uh, just how many guys fell off of roofs before osha made them have mandatory fall protection. These are in elevators. How many people were injured in an elevator? You know, uh, today with the cost of 
uh, of medic medical uh, situations and and the cost of insurance you know jesus uh, it would be unbelievable how much we'd be paying so say having said that <laughs> the farmers are way against this i mean every farmer i've ever met they don't want osha involved they want to self-regulate okay uh, i think it it it's not that they have to be pushed into it or have to be pounded into their head they know that they know this uh there are other ways i mean i i know that that if regulations are are put out uh, the regulations aren't always followed but if you have an insurance man come to your operation and it's a large one and you have employees there your bill is going to be determined on how safely you how safely you do things at your operation. That could be the determining factor. Um, it, it, you know, it's only for their benefit. But if you can save five hundred thousand, two thousand, five thousand dollars in insurance premiums by just being safe, I guarantee you the farmers are going to be safer. Well, we will certainly monitor how that all plays yeah. out. As of this recording, nothing has fully been formalized yet in terms of legislation. But right. I'm sure as if in, indeed we continue to lose, tragically lose a few more farmers, then people might continue to take a look at this. But as your message here today, hopefully people take a, a good preventative approach first. Is there anything else that you would like to tell our audience before we wrap up here on this very important subject, Dale? Yeah, I, I, I think one last thing would be what I trying to get out there, this farm safety, that this should be generational, meaning that, that it shouldn't be held just to the farmer, the producer themselves. Uh, their children should be involved. What are their, you know, their wife should be involved. This, this should all be a family affair. Uh, who suffers after somebody is, is uh, it's the family that suffers. And, and when I have training, and, and when it has to do with farmers, I'm, I insist that they bring family members to the same training. This, this, after the farm is passed on, I don't want the safety procedures to just go away. And, and I'm sure they won't, you know. I mean, what my dad did unsafely back then surely wouldn't get by me, and I would surely not do it to my children or grandchildren. So, but that isn't always the case, so okay. So I want the wives involved because they could be the determining factor. Just like my wife is the determining factor in our business, what direction we go, she has compassion, a lot of it. And a lot of wives have that kind of, the last thing they want to see is family member hurt. And so get them involved. They'll push things through way faster than a lot of people. But I, I really would hope that, that this is a, a nationwide uh, pro, um, movement so that we can, we can reduce that number from eight in Minnesota down to zero. And I know ag country is in a lot of states. So, you know, you, you're talking a big area that they, that they service. And they've certainly been working with us in every way, shape, or form to, to make farm safety a priority. Absolutely. It's of the utmost, as I started with, it's the utmost importance 
for everybody to stay safe. And we hope, ultimately, if you're listening out there and you're working on a farm, we do hope you practice good farm safety techniques and continue to have good luck in, in that department. Dale, thank you very much for coming on and speaking with us today. It's a very important topic, and we're happy to have you here. Well, thank you. And if somebody wants more information, uh, we have a website, outstatedata.net, and that will give you more information with our phone numbers. You can call us, and, and we'll talk to you on any subject of safety. Perfect. That's Dale Ekdahl with Outstate Data. That will do it for this episode of the Rural Perspectives podcast, which is a production of Egg Country Farm Credit Services. To get more great content, please visit www.eggcountry.com. <laughs>